This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a TV show episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all I did. All right, let's, let's get into it. This week, we are doing The Handmaid's Tale. Here we go. By Margaret Atwood. Let's get into it. This week, The Handmaid's Tale, a dystopian novel by Canadian author Margaret Atwood, originally published in 1985. This is a doozy, Taylor. Yes, we usually try to bring things, and we'll bring a comedic light to it. But the the material we will forewarn you is inherently mature. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, mature. <laughs> this is some dense stuff. If you have seen the the uh, popular Hulu series, then you are fully aware. If you read the book, you're fully aware. But if you have not, like me, um, you're just going to be shocked at every term. No. <laughs> <laughs> it is a dystopian tragedy whereby women are abused for their sexuality, and that is the premise. Yeah, so generally, that's just, we're not women, and, we, you know, so... We don't is, know anything about it. Yeah, so we are not experts in this field, um, so, you know, please, anything we say, if we, if we get a little too laughy here and there, um, please take that with a, a grain of salt, knowing that we are not experts on this, um, and, and we do take this subject matter pretty seriously. So. And I found that the purpose, I will quote something from the book where the main character, she says, ignoring isn't the same as ignorance, you have to work at it. Mm. And I feel like we're, both Evan and I are trying to do neither of those these are situations, and the reason a book is written is so that people that don't understand something can try to learn about it exactly. and intuit exactly. it and figure it out. So and Growing empathy for the human experience. Right. And I don't want to be willfully you know, ignorant, and I also don't want to ignore, and so here we are. Here we are. Fantastic. Uh, well, so I just watched the first episode of the first season mm -hmm. of the um, the Emmy-winning Hulu series. <laughs> Eight Emmys. Mm -hmm. um, I just watched the first episode. I haven't seen anything past that, but the third season just premiered uh, on the 5th. So um, if you haven't heard anything about this, if, you, if you're into this story by the end of it, you know, there is plenty to go watch. Go check out the book. This is, this is hot material. Right. I will give you a little context for the book. The book came out in 85, you said? Yes. 85. She started writing in 1961. She's published mm -hmm. 17 books of poetry, 16 novels, 10 books of nonfiction, eight collections of short fiction, eight children's books, one graphic novel. She helped write an opera. And, and she's she... a hoot at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she... has got a lot to say. ...is <laughs> 80 years old now. My gosh. And just so everybody knows, at Long Awaited, there will be a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale... Oh. ...coming out this year... She just finished? Mm -hmm. My God. This because is, it's popular this is demand. Material. Yeah. <laughs> so very topical. We're going to get into it. I will uh, go into the plot. We're not going to go into... Maybe akin to our Ted Bundy episode right. where, you know, we, we didn't cover the crimes. Uh, this right. is not going to be about the the lewd acts and, and all, and you know, we're, yeah. this is this is not about that. I'm so. going to focus at the end on three big topics that hit me from reading the book. One, which is the creative constraints going into making it mm. and her Margaret Atwood story. Mm -hmm. Two, the ending of the book, which I don't know what they're going to do with the show, but that was very interesting to me. 
how that all played out. So we'll talk about that. Okay. And then three, the point of view, which I think does tie into how they made the TV show. Oh, yeah. And why it's got eight Emmys. Well, that was apparent to me just by watching the first the first episode that mm-hmm. the point of view of, of this is is must. It, it, I, I was just certain by watching it that this must be how the book kind of reads. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like they've got to be touching on what this book feels like to actually be in the situation. Yes. Yeah. So let's just jump right in. The Handmaid's Tale. The title is a reference to Geoffrey Chaucer, if you know about old literature. He did the Canterbury Tales. Mm. And so every section of it is like the Bard's Tale and the Whatever's Tale and the Knight's Tale. And right, so okay, yes. that's kind of what it's saying. Like, I oh, see. this is a facet of this kind of old society, although it's a new society, set in the future. The way that the book goes about in terms of the style, you don't know what's going on. Everybody now potentially knows what this book is about, right. the general sense of things. But when you just start reading it, she uses all this terminology as if this was the real history of the world. And so you go in and are just getting bits just and pieces, piece, piece, piece by piece. piece. You feel lost in what this world is and what's happening and where is she and why is she doing this and what is that? She uses, there's terminology for different types of people and their different classes in society. And I imagine they're used in situations where you can kind of infer and, and, mm-hmm. and guess what, you know, and then as it comes up, you're like, yep, that's what that is. And, right. You know. And, but in the first 40 pages, you're kind of just swept along. Going with it. And so I would say anybody that does try to read it for me personally, it's a matter of sticking through it because stuff does get put together and make sense. Okay. As it goes along. Yeah. So, so the first few, the first few pages might be a little dense, but if you can get past that, mm-hmm. it'll open up. And Margaret Atwood had said, because a lot of people label this as science fiction, and she is much more into the terminology of speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, in this term, in this way of, of, of how she's done her world building, mm-hmm. it seems very akin to A Clockwork Orange. They do a lot of the, a lot of similar stuff. They create a whole other vocabulary, just sim- right, just right, as right, similar right. as this. There's enough going on socially, politically in the world that uh, you know it, they they he all uh, oh man, I'm forgetting that author's name right now. But he also Anthony that's a science fiction. Burgess was yes, it Anthony yes. Burgess. Yeah. Um, that's also it's a science fiction dystopian type of what would this be like? So yeah, if if you've read uh, or have seen Clockwork Orange, the the terms that they use between him and his uh, his ghouls, mm-hmm. um, be you're going to know exactly what's going Kinda on. Kind of how it works, yeah. Um, so just, just in terms of a, the structure of a book, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not, right. not the, not yeah. the story. Don't get lost in the weeds. It, the story is pretty simple, but you have to grasp all the new language and what people are doing. And that's part of the unease because it is so foreign. What's happening? Who's, why is this person wearing this color and why is she called that? And then referencing some other person. And I don't know if that's her friend mm-hmm. or was that her daughter you know, right, right. <laughs> what, and then and then it goes into her reminiscing about something, and you're right. like, was that yesterday or three years ago? Or well, seeing it's it's awesome because, and this is so rarely the case, but you just describing it like that, I'm in my head going, that's exactly how the show feels, mm. uh, and that is very rarely the case, I think, and 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 sometimes that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's incredible even. Yeah. Um, but man, when it can be this close, just by you, you telling me, man, they are, they do a good job with getting her <laughs> point of view, the wooziness of this, of the situation. Mm-hmm. The, um, do we want to get into the point of view or we want to hold that for later? We'll hold it off on a little cool. bit. I will say there was a movie that was already made called The Handmaid's Tale awesome. based on the book. What? 
came out in 1990. And it stars Natasha Richardson as the main gal and Robert Duvall oh. as the main guy that's oppressing her, oh, man. the commander. So this did not do very well and was criticized by Natasha Richardson, the main actress, because there was a change of hands. The production was a nightmare. But she had done narration over all of the movie and the director cut it. So there's oh. no overhead narration, which you can speak to in the show there is overhead narration. Oh yes, no, yeah. you're and and almost similarly to how the book is a little dense, like the way how they introduce that at first, you go, "Whoa, what's going on? That is there? Who's in the room?" You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, but then pretty quickly, you're like, "Oh, oh, she's thinking." If you you know, as soon as you're listening to her, you're like, "Oh, that's her. She's thinking. Oh, she's telling him uh, she likes something, and you know, you know, he, she doesn't." Uh, <laughs> right. Cool. I got it. Yeah. So she in the book does have moments and asides that completely deviate from what's going on and it's in her mind and she's reminiscing about something but that's how you're getting the backstory because right. nothing is explained right. you kind of have to be in her mind because all the world that she is wants to honestly wants to go back to now mm-hmm. only exists in her mind mm-hmm. and she's losing it yes because the reality of the situation is now this yes so and it becomes more normal every day mm-hmm. and that was something that they that they do say I, I maybe i can only assume it's in the book but the main like head Mistress Lady mm-hmm. is, you know, this might seem, uh, this might seem unnormal to you now, but it will be normal. It will become more normal. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. It's <laughs> like you kind of you, you can be conditioned to just about accept most things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the big themes in the book. I know we said we were going to get into the plot, but we're prefacing a little bit here. One of the big themes is language and using language and why they have all these different terms for where different people are in the cast system, so to speak, Mm -hmm. of this society. And like you said, this is now normal or you call things this thing is language is a big part of being subjugated or taking over something. And that's a that was a theme in a lot of books of this time dealing with science fiction and speculative fiction. Like inherent to thought. mm -hmm. And so if you can be in the word that's forming the thought, you can't really go a lot deeper than that without being really rooted in the person's soul mm-hmm. you know like it, uh if you can control the actual thought it's like beyond the word right and that, you begin that's to forget kind of what they, yeah. that, that's what it's getting and into. 1984 played with that yes a lot which is a precursor that, to this all one. the listeners out there i have read a book and that one's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> i try to bring it up as much as possible thank you taylor and then i know what's going on <laughs> it's like 1984 even if it's not oh yeah oh, okay oh yeah yeah <laughs> so this book starts out it, it alternates between every section is night and then some sort of basic living situation like shopping or the household. Obviously, it's graphic and tragic and absurd, but mm-hmm. that's just to give you some context for the banality slash horror of what's going on. Right. It alternates between those sections. So in the night sections, she's the only time she's alone, and so she's sleeping and or dreaming or thinking about things, and that's when you get the reflection periods of what's going on, so you have a back-and-forth break in the narrative between, oh, this is what happened in the past. Oh, this is how the government got overthrown. Oh, this is what happened to her husband. That kind of thing. Okay, it's a little less strict than that in the the series. They'll Mm -hmm. pretty much tell you whenever they need to uh, about what's going on. So it starts out, one of these night situations, she's in a gymnasium, and immediately, and I will read some of little notes and turns of phrase, because I had copied those down, Mm -hmm. but there's just women laying on cots and they can't speak. And there's other women in different colored clothes that are quote unquote, their captors who are in charge of them. Like you said, the headmistress lady. Right. So I don't know what to call her. 
So they call them ants or aunts. Ooh. They're like the ones that are retraining them for this new yeah. society. Yeah. yeah. And then it cuts to shopping, which is now in the present day. And she has her own room in whatever house she's living in. And a quote that I have is, they've removed anything you could tie a rope to because the chandelier is gone. So you immediately yeah. get this horror of like, oh, nobody wants to be here and everybody's trying to kill themselves. Yep. She's been told to think of it as being in the army, said by this person named Aunt Lydia. So you're really not, at the start of the book, understanding anything that's yeah. going on, where this is, when it's taking place. She speaks to somebody who she calls a Martha, not the name Martha, but a Martha. So now you're like, oh, we've got another layer of people. So we've got aunts and Marthas, and who is this gal? Is this just based on some white dude's family, like extended <laughs> family? It's like, no, 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 that'll be the Marthas. Right. Uh, we'll have a caste system for this, you know. <laughs> So we'll get to the very, very end ending, and it's very interesting how the naming fits in in sort of this meta ending in the in the story and why they think it's like that. But basically, yeah, what are people used to? Also, right. Martha's Martha's <laughs> line up against the wall. Now, yeah. daddy's, daddy's yeah. Oh, I know. A... Yeah, I know those names. <laughs> She's speaking to this cook named Rita, and they're worried about going to the colonies with the unwomen, which is another sort of 1984. Mm-hmm terminology, unwomen, but you don't even know what the colonies are, where they're going. She talks about this commander's wife who just knits all the time. And clearly now we see, okay, there's a commander mm-hmm. that's a military term, so must be doing something with the military. And he's got a wife, but none of these women are his wife. Mm-hmm. But the wife is in a position of power, and her name is Serena Joy. And then she walks around with this woman named Of Glen, O-F-G-L-E-N, or off Glen, and that's the only name we get of anybody, except for the ants and the other people. But this this person is the same person as her wearing a, wearing a red robe and the white thing covering their face, mm-hmm. the habit, so they can't see, and so nobody can see their face. And she's saying that this is her third post that she's been at, which gives you this military feel to things. Mm. She sees the chauffeur, whose name is Nick, who's a man, and she's worried that he might be what's called an eye... Like I said, you're, it's just a whirlwind mm-hmm. of the terms and who's doing what. There's a bit of reality thrown back in, or our modern reality, because there are other people. This is a this is a whole place called Gilead, which is some country or entity, and it's in the Northeast United States, or encompasses that it's part kind of undefined of the United you know, States. Yeah, North but there America, are Japanese yeah. tourists and dignitaries and whatnot that are wanting to take pictures of them, these weird women in the red robes and the and the habits. Oh, interesting. Oh, and that's cool. I like that. They don't, yeah, they don't let them take pictures of them. There's an in- interpreter who she's like is obviously an eye also. They're always being watched. And he says the, ja- the Japanese tourists can ask them a question and they ask them, are you happy? Like this type of society yeah. has been heard about across the, wow. across the waters and it's so foreign and weird. They couldn't even understand how these people live like this yeah, and yeah. want to ask like zoo animals Must be in a cage. like what we do when we go and visit North Korea if you were ever so crazy to. <laughs> right. Or went in a time machine and visited the, you know, the pilgrims and, and <laughs> be like, why are you, what, yeah, why are you living this way or whatever? Hmm, weird. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> are you having <laughs> some crabs over there? That's cool. Okay, that's cool. The last little thing is she sees some doctors that are hanged at the wall, which is the outskirts of their area for whatever reason, presumably because they gave abortions or sterilized mm-hmm. people or some sort of 
something to do. They were not following in line with the mm-hmm. the tenets of what's going on. Then it goes back to night, and we realize she had a friend named Moira, who we don't know where she is, and her daughter was taken from her, and she's saying that she's forgetting things. This is where that comes in. She doesn't know if they're drugging her or she's taking pills. It's all very hazy, but she doesn't want to forget how it got this way or what she's even doing. Mm. Then it goes into the what's the section called the waiting room. We get a sense of she had a husband named Luke, and one, she's walking with off Glenn, one of the other handmaidens. Is there an on Glenn? <laughs> well, well, I'll explain what that's about. Uh. Um, so we don't know yet what that what that means or okay. what her name is. Um, <laughs> I she, hate stumbling into <laughs> dark piles of recess. Oh, I shouldn't have touched that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> Keep your hands Just in the vehicle at all times, please. She met this off Glenn mentions the term. Oh, it's like a beautiful May day, which will come in later, which is French for help me, which, mm-hmm. like I said, will come in later. The main character, who we still don't know what her name is, sees a phrase in Latin scrawled in on, in the closet and dresser or whatever of, of her room, which I will butcher because I don't speak Latin. Do it. Nolite te bastardes carborandorum. Somebody email us and tell us how horrible that was. <laughs> well, so I looked this up. Because it appears later in the story, and she actually, because they don't have no books, they can't read, they can't do anything, they're completely oppressed. She will figure out what that means later on, but I looked it up immediately because I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) And because she can't read it, and I'm like, oh, are they never going to tell us what that means? I got to go look it up. (laughs) But they do. Spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can wait. I can do it. I can. I got to know right now. Yeah. That's me. She reminisces about her friend Moira, and sees the the commander who clearly now we realize oh well she's being used for reproduction fertility she's a fertile person these other women are not or they're not allowed to and this commander is the person that is in she's charge of her to. she says she ought to feel hatred for this man here's where we start to see a little bit of confusion about the empathy we're like it's the whole system that's pushing people down. Nobody is winning right. <laughs> in this situation. And maybe we'll speak to it a little bit more, but it's a general feeling of a couple people misusing power. Yeah. And in this story, that is reflected in gender roles and masculine, feminine, and how that plays out in that situation. But it could also, but it, it's also in the story has to do with class because there are women that are higher up in the system subjugating other women, Mm -hmm. and then their whole... So everybody in this is white, Caucasian, and they make mention later on of African-American, other people being just shipped out to another part of the country. And you realize the whole rest of the country is this like toxic wasteland because of radioactivity and disease and all this other stuff. That's where the unwomen go to the colonies. Yeah, in the Um, show they say, like, they're threatening, like, one of them is, like, going crazy or something. Like, it's at night. mm -hmm. Um, And it's Moira goes up to her, I think, and and is like, if you don't don't stop, you're going to get shipped to the colonies. And she says something graphic about how it's like, the the radioactivity is going to make your skin fall off after a couple yeah. of days i'm like oh my god but those are the you know and this is kind of an aside but those are the biggest questions i have on having only seen the one episode of just like what exactly are you know is the state of of the country and mm-hmm. what happened and so it's and given to you piece I'm, by piece yeah. as the story progresses which some people like me miss mr impatient looking up what the latin phrase is 
like I said at the beginning, was harder for me to get through because I'm not used to that kind of narrative mm -hmm. where things are laid out in a particular way. It's very scattershot and you just have to go along with it. But obviously Margaret Atwood spent a bunch of time figuring out what pieces to give you when. Yeah. So she goes for this doctor's appointment and the doctor's not supposed to look at her. There's a sheet between them. He's just oh, feeling around, whatever. He's not supposed to say anything, but he asks her and says, hey, like, you're fine. I think your commander is sterile. I can help you out. Essentially, I will get you pregnant so that they don't ship you off so that because like, it's always assumed that it's the woman's fault. Right, right. And you just need another handmaiden. Right. And like, she's been here at this post now. She was at two other posts and now she's at this one. And something needs to happen soon. Otherwise, she's going to be gone. Jeez. But she declines the doctor because she doesn't know. It could be a setup. It could, I mean, the right. whole thing is right. messed up. Right. You know, they did touch on the paranoia about how they use every single person to distrust every single other person. No one, not one single person knows that they're safe or knows what's going on. Yeah. That was my guess. It's mm -hmm. like the head mistress lady you know, might feel a little more secure, but even her, I would suspect at a certain level would be like, you know, when push comes to shove, she's on the chopping block all the same. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the whole system yeah, and how that slowly creeps in yeah. and you, you get pieces of that throughout. But so we go back now in one of these night situations where she's reminiscing about her friend Moira, who we mentioned, and it cuts back to how Moira showed up at this place. She was one of her friends. She shows up at this place three weeks after this gal, the mm -hmm. main character, has gotten in. Um, and they, they don't want to give off to anybody that they were friends or that they knew each other or that they anything. So she said, we exchanged small glances like sips, just the mm. language used to explain like yeah. how delicate every interaction is and how on eggshells everybody is in this universe about what where they stand, what can they do, what can't they do, what freedoms are they allowed, what, you know. Yeah. She goes into uh, how they have something hosted by this headmistress of them condemning this victim of rape. And it's kind of that group think again where everybody's doing it. And this is now being perceived as acceptable. And quote to the main character, we meant it, which was the bad part. And now she's starting to think, oh, yeah, that was my fault. And everybody that's condemning her is like, well, I don't, like you said, I don't want to, when the push comes to shove, I don't want to be on the chopping block. Yeah. So I'm going to go along with it. Yeah. And I, Margaret Atwood, I looked up some more, you know, her perspective on this and whatever. And putting those scenes in also shows it's like, it's not just, although it is a large majority, the men oppressing the women. It's also not easy if you're in the system to just right. rebel and come out of it. So she is still reminiscing, sleeping or whatever. And now we learn about how her daughter got taken and mm -hmm. because her husband and her were trying to escape up to Canada when the whole government collapsed. See, and that's how it, that's how the show starts. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't know exactly, you don't know what's going on. But that is the first scene of the show. And then later on, you kind of get it reframed for you. And piece by piece, you kind of get it reframed for you, learning what has happened. But yes, yeah, that's actually where the show starts. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, they flip yeah. it all around. So she but, says, and and and, that, and like, and I'm growing an appreciation for it, even in that, because it seems so. It's flipped all around, and they, you know, they're changing when things need to happen exactly, and how, mm -hmm. when they're telling you things, mostly, all for the sake of it is a different medium. But they are, but it seems to me like hitting the tone on the head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was not enjoying myself reading this. <laughs> in the I, slightest. Yeah, yeah, that's not surprising. 
it was kind of a slog. The writing was really well done, but I was just like, how much more? Right. We're only on the third How many section. more metaphors about, you know, looks like sips can you take you <laughs> yeah. know, before you're like, like please, you know? <laughs> let something nice happen to this person. <laughs> So like, now that's beautiful how you said it, but it's horrible <laughs> yeah. implications. Yeah. So potentially now something nice is happening here. Uh, Nick, the chauffeur character, mm-hmm. doing a little footsies, touching her foot. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing. Everything is mm-hmm. so minute that that tiny little thing, you're like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> he touched her foot. What the heck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she recoils from it. And then he puts his foot closer. So she's also watching the commander now going about his business this is a quote from her she says it must be hell to be a man like that it must be just fine it must be hell it must be very silent understanding Mm. and empathy and a flip-flop of her emotions about the whole situation doesn't look like he's having a good i mean she's having a horrible time Mm -hmm. but this is not the way for him to live either Mm -hmm. the commander yeah yeah it's interesting seeing the different sides of the oppression go on because like even in, from what I saw on the show, it's like, well, I don't know who's enjoying this. <laughs> right. Uh, Maybe the any... four people in power up at the top. Maybe. Yeah. Now are they, is this some sort of like magic like going on? Are these <laughs> rituals that you're having us carry out? You know, are you perpetuating your, I don't yeah. know. Like, I don't know. Like what, what's happening? Um, A big criticism and the impetus for the whole thing is definitely thrown at religion and a religious model that this is based off of. Mm-hmm. So doing a little research, Margaret Atwood spent time at Harvard studying the Puritans, which were the, a, a sect of people yeah. in, you know, when the Pilgrims were early America, 1700s. Yeah, that's fascinating. And they were based entirely on the on the theocracy of that God is the sole power. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people use for manipulation sometimes, unfortunately. And then you come to realize it's not explicitly said in here, but this takes place in Cambridge. So she based it on her experience okay. there. And it's a sort of ironic symbol of, oh, this is this hollowed place of learning and wisdom <laughs> and expansion of opportunity. It can be flipped right on its head if we let things slide long enough before we realize it's too late. Mm-hmm. So then they talk about how Moira tried to fake a sickness and tried to uh, collude with an ambulance driver. He ended up oh. telling on her. Oh. And so then they and beat. see, that's why she can't do the doctor thing earlier. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. You have no idea. Right. Because she remembered, oh, my friend tried to do this and then got totally messed up. So they beat her feet in her hands because they said, you don't need them for your purpose. Yeah. Which is super messed up. So then we go into what they call the ceremony, which is the graphic, you know, rape mm-hmm. of the handmaidens. And the wife is there yeah. pretending to be the person involved. And then the guy is also there and she's there. And in the book, she says, which of us is it worse for her or me? Right. Referring to the wife. Yeah. Which Absolutely. is a crazy thing to think Absolutely. about in the moment. But that, I don't know if that carries over in the story. Oh, as well. 100%. That, yeah. whole, that whole scene, you, like what I was, it's kind of what I was touching on earlier, I actually. is just like, I don't know who's benefiting really from this who's enjoying this who wants this because it didn't seem like anybody in the room did mm-hmm. the and the main thing being the connection between the two women that was right. the thing that i'm most heavily wondering about what's going to happen between them two mm-hmm. so the whole situation's over she leaves and she's quoted as saying i don't know if they reference the the husband a lot but they probably do in the rest of the show but she says i want luke here so badly i want to be held and told my name i want to be valued in ways that i'm not I want to be more than valuable, mm. which is just 
that's how the book's written. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's so mm-hmm. tragic. She goes out. She's has a moment of rebellion, and she's just like, I just want to steal something. I just got to get out of this room. Yeah. So she goes out to, down to the kitchen, and Nick is there, that chauffeur. Mm-hmm. They're both doing illegal things right now, being out at this time, mm. not where they're supposed to be. And he's saying, the commander, I was coming up to get you. The commander wants to see you privately tomorrow, oh. which who knows what that's going to oh, be about. I don't like that. So then in the nighttime, she imagines But I do like this little chauffeur boy. <laughs> <laughs> Something's happening. She imagines what happened to Luke, and she says three different scenarios. And she says one that he's alive, one that he's in prison, and one that he's dead in a ditch somewhere. And she says she has to imagine all the scenarios the same. Oh, interesting. That's very different than the than the show because you you're you're certain right away that they they've shot him. Oh, or at least you know you know, you don't see it. So I don't know if something comes back into play later. Right. But right off the bat, you know they they they're driving. They wreck a car. The kid and the mom go out, and the dad says, "Go run!" And he you know the, the people come with guns. He gets killed off in the distance you just hear gunshots and so that they hopefully can get away but no it's ambiguous the whole time yeah yeah what's going on that's the very that's how they drop you in and you don't know what the (laughs) what what's going on which i I, honestly i have to say that's a kind of a good way to start because this is so otherworld Mm -hmm. (laughs) you watch a middle class woman have her child (laughs) ripped away from her in, in the woods after her husband was just almost certainly murdered yeah uh they're running and the more i hear it i'm like oh that that's a really great place to start yeah and i don't know you know your ignorance is not unfounded in this because they're still doing the show (laughs) and clearly they're putting a lot more and spending more time with things and they ask margaret atwood she has no say in the show they sort of oh she has looks over the scripts and whatever but she's not involved and she doesn't i think own i mean the publisher owns it or whatever so so now we're going on to the section called Birthday, and there's a handmaiden named Of Warren who's going to have a baby, and you learn that the chances of this actually happening are one in four because of the fertility and what's going on in the world. And then you start to learn, oh, her commander's name is Warren, so she's Of Warren. So every woman that's a handmaiden is just renamed gotcha. after the person that they're supposed to have sex with mm-hmm. to have their baby, which is gotcha. quite messed up. So there's like we talked about chemicals and pollution. And then there's people that they call Jezebels, which is another biblical term that they're taking off of, which are women that chose infertility and choose not to be involved in this whole system. And most of them are out in the colonies. She remembers when she was being trained by these ants about her new station in life in these schools. She saw these dates on the desk, like M. Hartz G. 1972, Mm. Karen Hartz Bill. 1955 or whatever. And she says there's no dates after the mid-80s because that's when the schools closed. And you intuit, that's, oh, because there's less children. Wow. So so you just see the history of mm-hmm. how this all happened through a desk. Yeah. And, and her rem- written on yeah. it. <laughs> and her remembering yeah, that. It's, that's, so that's what I'm saying. That's, like, that's, as the book great. goes, you're, you're more and more involved and you're piecing it together. But she chooses to call of Warren Janine, not to her face or to anybody. But from then on, she because she, she knows her name. A bit of internal rebellion, but has not done anything right. to fight the system like we would traditionally think. So immediately after Janine has the baby, the wife takes it away and is like, oh, look at my baby. False. This is a question which I had and is a classic question in terms of governments and authorities and whatnot. It's the it's the price of safety versus control. Mm-hmm. Like in a classic dystopian society, do you have security or do you have freedom? Right. Because... All of these women in this society, maybe I'm overstepping a reach here, but they're all 
being protected. They have, you know, they're like not being raped by strangers, but they're being raped by a state sanctioned authority. Right. You know? So it's like, you are safe in this way. You can walk down the street and go to the grocer and not have some criminal accost you in a back alley. That is the security you have, but your freedom is completely reduced to zero. She talks about how Moira escaped and stabbed one of the ladies and stole her clothes, one of the ants, and disappeared, and she doesn't know where she is. This they is another... do, by the end of that, that first episode, they do mention that she's gone. And one one of the other handmaidens, who's very aloof, is just like, she's probably dead. You know? <laughs> and, and, but, but, and very melan- melancholy-like. Yeah. Just like, mm, she's probably dead by now. You know, what? I, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting. Now I'm interested to see if she might not be, but who knows. Yeah. I'm just trying to, like, I want to say whenever it comes and be like, that's where episode one ends. But I'm mm-hmm. also like, how long is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm puzzled about that as well. Like I said, Margaret Atwood is not really involved, and they might do ten seasons, or they'll wait until her second book comes out, and they'll right. be like, incorporate that yeah, mess yeah, in yeah. there. Please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks, Margaret. Um, yeah, thanks, Margaret. We got to go. <laughs> We're on season go, four. Go, we, go. we are struggling. This main character, we still don't know her name, but she's obviously named in this society, whatever her commander's name is. At that night, this is now the night that calls her into his private whatever, Mm -hmm. and he just wants to play Scrabble with her. She thinks it's going to be some weird kinky thing or some, she did something wrong, but he just wants to play Scrabble with her. And at the end, he asks her for a kiss, which is completely forbidden. He can't even, like, touch her when they're doing the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um... And so she kisses him and he says, not like that, as if you mean it. And then the last line of that chapter is, he was so sad. And it's like, that's again where yeah. you feel like, oh, well, this is everybody's. Yeah, everybody's yeah he's just up. as much oppressed, just in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. A totally and it's different bizarre because it's like, setup. quote unquote, you know, he has a wife, wife, as they call them there. Right. But she's not allowed to do anything with him. Then we reveal her name is Offred which is of Fred, um, but it's also a play on offered mm. or of red, which is what the color of the mm-hmm. cloaks that they wear. And she, this is where she decides she has to forget her old life because she's using all these terms of was, and I'm trying to remember all this stuff. And she's saying, this is now, this is her situation. She can't keep going back and using that as an escape. She has to confront things head on here. Um, Good for her. And now that she has this situation with the commander, she's coming up with a system for their trysts. And so there's certain codes that Nick has that if he's out washing the car when she gets back, that means the commander wants to see her at night. But they never do anything crazy. They just play Scrabble. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, Mm. she asks... I saw you got my message. (laughs) Please, here are the pieces. The Zephyr, yeah. (laughs) Would you like some water? <laughs> Basically, we yeah. should meet in secret. No one can know. <laughs> I don't even. I, I was there doing mind normal playing things. Scrabble, but I'm like, I don't remember. I don't remember the rules of Scrabble right now. <laughs> well, you're just putting words, but it's again a huge indicator of such a joy for her. She did the way she describes seeing letters put down as a word because she can't read anything. She doesn't see any signs. Oh, see, they haven't gotten too much into that. They did show us in the grocery store that there's no words. There's right, no, and they exchange no tokens with, so with symbols on them and stuff. So that's that why... That hit me till just now and be yeah. like, okay, yeah, actually seeing letters and words. Wow. And playing with them mm-hmm. is such a big mm-hmm. deal. Fascinating. She asks if 
she could have some lotion because she's they're they're forming more of an actual intimacy as it could be playing Scrabble with each other and he laughs about it thinks it's silly still offers it but she can't it's it's the disparity between how ignorant he is but also culpable for what's happening to her the fact that yeah. you think it's silly but it's like look we are in hell right now <laughs> dude you you also don't understand as much as I would we're here playing Scrabble there's you know you're yeah. not getting what's going on yeah. here yeah 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 um, there's an awkwardness in the next ceremony that she has to do because he tries to touch her face and she's like, we're going to be found out and I'm going to be ruined. So she's now with this off Glen, they get tight and that we learn that the May day was the, the passphrase for this underground resistance. When she mentioned it, that's what they used to talk to each other. And so she tried it on off red and it didn't work because she didn't recognize it. Mm. But they have a moment of, because they're both being really passive and really straight and narrow because they don't know whether one of them is really pious and going to tell on them or right, whatever. Right. And then they both break down one day and she's like, and then Offred is like, Oh, there's a resistance and there's people that are like working on something here. And, uh, so then Offglen says you can join us. And then immediately there's a van that comes up to them, but they just grab some random guy in the street with a briefcase. And she's like, so glad that it wasn't her. <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, he's just laid on his bills. <laughs> Got him! <laughs> it's just a suitcase. There's just a yeah. briefcase on the side. But also then immediately losing the empathy of like, phew, glad that wasn't me, whatever that guy Ooh, did. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably dead! Uh, yeah. <laughs> that That is the, the quote of the whole well, story. Well, they're probably dead. Yeah. And what does that attitude say about, you know, <laughs> Nothing matters and things. why are we doing this? Yeah. The next Scrabble game, she learns that Latin phrase. Oh, okay. The Latin phrase, which I will put a link to the article that I read about it in the show notes, is don't let the bastards grind you down. Hmm. Which now people have tattoos of. And I think it, maybe I'm mistaken, but it has become kind of a, a feminist anthem. That's not surprising. Based on the... But Margaret Atwood said it was a joke in their... Latin class, she finds it kind of amusing that people have taken it <laughs> as a serious thing because she didn't really intend. It's 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 not a real Latin phrase. Mm-hmm. The last word of the phrase is like Latin Latin like Spanglish, where it's like not really mm-hmm. the language. It just sounds Latiny, but it's not a real Latin word. But the reason <laughs> the uh, the commander knows about this is because that was the previous handmaid that wrote that down. And so Alfred asks, "Well, what happened to her?" And just casually, he's like, "Oh yeah, she hanged herself." <laughs> Because of either she couldn't produce or something happened or whatever. And now she realizes, oh, she has leverage in the situation because they've gotten so close. So she's like, I want to know what's going on with this world and what's happening with stuff. So she talks to of Glenn about this May Day. There's more people hanging on the wall that they've killed. One of them has a J, which they don't even know what that means. Right. (laughs) It's like like now people are just dying for things. Just for anything. Yeah. Just whatever he did that, that is marked by a J. So then the wife comes back into the picture, confronts her and says she knows that Fred might be sterile. And that's how Alf Warren, the other girl that got Mm -hmm. pregnant, she did it with the doctor. And and the wife, Serena, knows this. And she's like, you should do it with Nick for the betterment of us all. So she feels this tacit camaraderie with the wife. And then the wife says, I'll give you a picture of your daughter. She's alive. If you, if you, if you get pregnant. Um, Here I go moaning like a cow. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I'm into it. She gets to see the daughter photo because she agrees. The commander wants her to go out with him undercover. This is interesting Mm -hmm. because he's risking a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. So he takes her out to where the Jezebels are to this brothel, gives her a skimpy dress, hides her underneath the car through the checkpoints, oh. like makes her duck down in the yeah. seats. So they go out to the brothel. He gives her a bracelet that she says looks like a rental luggage tag that says that she's an evening rental so Girl. that he can get her through. At the brothel, she sees Moira. Oh, who escaped, here we go. Who has now become that, yeah. So Moira explains she got caught. And it was either this or go out to the colonies and radioactive death. But she is so beaten down by everything and Alfred wishes that Moira would make some, have made some grand escape and be leading a rebellion or died in a blaze of glory. And she's like, yeah, I've got about three years left until I'm no longer able to do this line of work. And then they're just going to kill me. But it's better than the other thing. She says, I would have liked to tell you what's happened to her, but I never saw her again. After that, that was the last time she saw her was in that brothel. Mm. Uh, She fakes it with the commander in the hotel. That's why he took her out, so that he could have sex with her without it being the ceremony. Wait, so she fakes it? Well, yeah, enjoying it. But then that night, when they get back, she does it with Nick. And this was a very interesting portion of the book, because she writes it the first way as like sort of a pseudo-romantic encounter. And she's like, no, it wasn't like that. And then she writes it more clinical and just saying this is what it was. And then she writes it again differently. And she's like, no, I made up the part about the thunder and the lightning and all that stuff happening. She was so like, she tells you the same thing a couple times in a row being like, actually, mm-hmm. I don't know. What, you know, yeah. actually. Yeah. And actually, wait, there was no romance. And she ends that section by saying the way the love, the way that love feels is always an approximate. So now we're getting into the last part here. This whole section... We can see the shore, Taylor. (laughs) We can see the shore, but it's not getting better. (sighs) She... It's on fire. ...apologizes to the reader, or to Luke, we don't know, but she's she's saying you in this section now, Mm. going through what's going on in her mind. And she keeps going back to Nick. She realizes she might be pregnant. Off Glenn is like, you've got to get back with the command. Like when you go to the commander, you've got to look at his papers. Like we, we we need your help. Like you have such an in. We need to figure out what's going on. She attends this execution of these women. They don't explain the crimes anymore because it gives the other women hope about what they would do. They said there's a lot of copycat crimes, so we're just going to execute them. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. The downside, certainly, is the fact that the other women are responsible for the execution. So the aunts, the the headmistress ladies, and then they all, all the handmaidens have to hold on to the rope that causes them to hang so that they're complicit in it. And then there's this man who's one of the guardians, which is another part of the cast, who they said raped some girl out in the street. And so they attack him and stone him and whatever. That's in the show. All that other, the, mm-hmm. they do, they do have like a, um, not the ceremony, I don't want to say right. ceremony, but they have a, a, you know. An execution. They have a pep rally. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, you know, all the handmaidens collectively stone this guy, this one guy to death. And, and that kind of goes back to her realizing her culpability in all mm-hmm. of this, that she's become part of the press. And, yeah. that, and that's that's a very real thing in actual abuse, like yeah. um, in, in human trafficking, honestly. Victims of that, a lot of the time, can get pulled into feeling culpable in the operation that's going on. And that's, that's how those types of things continue, because the people who are involved in it yeah. go in it and stay in it. 
and they feel like they are guilty as well, even though they're the ones that are oppressed. Yeah. In that stoning, though, Off Glen is like the first one to attack and kick him right in the head. And she's so surprised because she seems like part of the resistance mm-hmm. trying to not be involved in this. And so she confronts her and Off Glen says, oh, no, he did. Like, they set him up. He was a part of this May Day organization. She wanted to knock him out so he wouldn't feel anything. Like, that's why they took him in, not because he raped some girl. Oh, um, oh. oh okay. So she's, she's still in it to win it. The next day... The old off Glen is gone when they go out to walk to get their groceries. This other random woman is there. She asks her, she's like, oh, was off Glen transferred? Knowing in the back of her mind, like, they probably got her. And this woman is like, I am off Glen." She's like, oh, Jesus. Like, I don't, you know. Oh, my God. Super creepy part of the book. I am off Glen. Yeah. She's like, no, you're not. But then she doesn't even, she never asked her real name, so she can't even... And that's how also you start to forget things. It's like, oh, I didn't even ask her name, and now she's gone, and that's how these memories fade away because of language and words and the way that you go about things. She learns that Off Glen hanged herself after she saw a van coming, so at least she got away from being taken in by the state. Um, But Serena, the wife, confronts her because she found out about the tryst, about them going out to the brothel, Mm. and now Offred is the main character, is contemplating her end and how to do it. She's back in her room. She's like, well, Serena knows. The wife knows. She's going to tell. I'm done for. Mm-hmm. Off Glen is gone. They probably figured out that I said stuff to her. Yeah. Um, she sees the van outside, hears it pull up. Nick runs up to the thing, says, says mayday to her, like he's a part of the thing, and to go with them. They're with us. They're not mm-hmm. part of the state. And so now she doesn't know who to trust. No idea if it's real Nick. You know, Nick could be an I just pretending to say that so that she goes in. It might be just worth it at that point. Right. <laughs> and so that's what she's saying. She's like, oh, I don't, uh, I don't know who to trust, but if I stay here Push come to show, and they find out, go. then the real ones will get me. And if these are yes. the real ones, then I'm already done for. Yeah. If, if they are the ones, they're going to get me if I stay. So <laughs> they'll just get me anyway. So there's a chance they're not. It's the only shot. Yeah. So she goes into the van. Now, here's where the ending comes in. And this like I said, we were going to talk about at the end, is the most interesting part of the whole thing to me. Mm. So flip that page. It is titled Historical Notes, and it's a partial transcript of the proceedings of the 12th Symposium on Galadian Studies. So this is hundreds of years in the future, and it's written as like a set of historical notes from a society hundreds of years after this happened, and they're having their 12th symposium like a history conference. And this is some guest speaker speaking about the Galean Mm -hmm. uh, society. And this particular speaker is speaking about these sets of notes that he found as tape recordings in a locker in Bangor, Maine, from the underground female road that happened. And talking about there's problems in authentication and reference to this Handmaid's Tale. He's the one that titled it The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Most of the people that they reference in like the society have very Native American Indian or like that kind of cultural nomenclature to their names. So you're in this society like, oh, well, that was a Caucasian thing. And now that they're the minority and these are the people that are the educators and thought leaders of this society and how the, it's all the, the society thousands of years in the future. hundreds of years in the future. hundreds of years yeah. in the future yeah okay. yeah and that it was rebuilt uh, and, so and this was it's some primarily native american right right, right. Okay. or that's all the names cool. in the in the in the program of who's speaking and whatnot 
and that you know there's they're talking about how like oh we're going to talk about the Galadian civil wars and hopefully we won't miss lunch like it happened yesterday and applause and it's like a total tonal shift when you flip that page like oh now I'm reading like from a from a conference and the speaker is making jokes about this historical situation that happened and making jokes about how they're yeah, going to miss we lunch. We like to live our lives like we're not making history every day, don't we? And that's what's so insane about this ending because he's cautious about passing moral judgment on this culture because there he was like, oh, well, that was just the culture of the time and they were doing the best they could with what they had. And it was a culture-specific thing the way they went about this, which is the, the concept of moral relativism. Like, is something bad always bad? Um, it was the context, of, you know, in a lot of ways. It's just... Yeah. And he's trying to figure out who the potential identities are, and he doesn't know her name, but they could trace like this Fred was either a Fred so-and-so or a Fred Worthington or something like that, and going through the history of like, well, he did this in history, and he was a whatever, and then... And so they don't even bother. She doesn't even bother telling you what happens to to, uh, June? Not at all. Awesome. Not in the slightest. Incredible. Um, he was I like, "Well, it. we." He was like, "Well, we have these tapes, but they could be made up because they we found them in this locker, and we don't know her history." And incredible, she might have made them up, or this could be somebody else. That obviously she didn't do these. Like this well, was no, done. If in you post. weren't getting the metaphors, and if you weren't getting what this thing is actually talking about, you definitely would by the end of it, or be totally confused. But I think if you're act- if you have gotten through the book and you yeah. get to this point and you get through it. If you have missed something, it'll get it back to you in in that that ending. That seems incredible. Yeah. And the last line of the book is him ending his talk. And he says, are there any questions? Then, wow. (laughs) Close the (laughs) book. I love it. Oh, my gosh. That is, yeah, that ending is, is fantastic. And it, it, because to God, they do it. Well, because it's like, we have a. You know, it's like if we had a talk in Harvard about the Puritans and yes, the witch absolutely. hunts of the 1700s. percent No, I think about this in every class I've ever been in. <laughs> because, we, again, we like to live every day like we're not making history. Yeah. Like, well, time is passing, my friend. Yeah. I thought it was a, a crazy ending that she has created this whole world and put it all together. Oh, and I then... love getting right up to the precipice of trying to find out. Maybe she's going to make her break. Maybe the kid, you know, like, maybe all, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's happening, happening, happening. Any question, you know, the you know, standing up lecture, you know, all those types yeah. of that. Um, and how we distill history to these, to these points. Absolutely. And we got the story of this woman in the flesh who's suffering horribly and what it is actually like boots on the ground in a situation like this. And the ex- but it gets lost. And a lot of the excuses they did the best they could with the time and the situation, mm-hmm. except mm, it could have done better. <laughs> uh, actually, it didn't have to be that way. Only people made it that way. Yeah. Who made it that way? Yeah. It's always people. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I love it. Incredible. Yeah. Amazing. So I want to get into a couple last points. I mentioned at the very beginning creative constraints for this story. So I looked up and read an article, which I'll link to in the notes, about Margaret Atwood and her writing process. She said that because she didn't want this to be science fiction, she wanted it to have authenticity. Everything that she wrote about is based on something real. And so she was working at the University of Alabama at the time, I believe. So if you go back, they have files or somebody, maybe it was in New York, she taught at 15 different places, but there's some files with all of her notes. And she said, clippity clip, 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 I got newspaper clippings. So in these notes from her book, there's 
she clipped out stories of abortion being outlawed in Romania from history, stories in Canada about the falling birth rate of Canada, reports of threat to privacy posed by debit cards, which were a novelty at the time, right. and how that could easily be taken away from women before men and saying, oh, For well, anybody have- wondering how to weave a story like this, this is exactly how, how it's done. This is... This mm-hmm. is incredible stuff. She had accounts of congressional hearings talking about the regulation of industrial emissions, which is where she got all the... If you can get passionate about any any one of these subjects, that will inform everything about the framing of your story. I mean, that that, that you can you could set up... I mean, it, it's just... It's, it's If you can get in that mode, and that's, yeah. that's the hardest thing, but if you can get in the mode analyzing what's actually going on around us in our own society and our world, mm-hmm. and thinking about what could be or what... If this chance, if this, well, what if that, or with everything all of else, these yeah. articles, if they all happen at the same exactly. time, yeah, exactly. She even has in this thing. There's an article about a Catholic congregation in New Jersey, which was taken over by an even more fundamentalist sect of Catholicism, in which they the wives were called handmaidens. Mm. So even that part was taken. From Fantastic. Something real that happens. Um, it's like it didn't just come out of her mind. You know, all in one, you know, just because she's a genius and has all these wonderful ideas. It's, mm-hmm. No, she's studied uh, and she thinks about problems in the world. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to leave it open for you to figure it out on your own. She's not saying, hey, this is how we fix this. This is how we do this. Well, at the end of the day, I think that a lot of the moral is it's up to us. We are we are here now. It's up to us. Yeah. Any questions? The other thing which we touched on, was the ending. I'm like, that's the whole point of the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, just, I don't even care if she gets out. Like, I don't care what happens to her past that. You know, I'm just like, dude, because I've got, emotionally, I've got everything I need to do. I need to get into that ending, which then reframes everything I've just thought about. I would like to bring another layer of this, which would reframe everything again. Mm-hmm. Please. <laughs> Please. Which some people talk about. I'm not as knowledgeable about. But it's interesting after I did a little bit more research and thought about it a little bit longer, that even in this meta-narrative of these things coming up, she puts all the scholars and the talks and the whatever, these are male scholars using guesswork to patch her story together. And why would you do that? Even like the whole book is like, oh, this is a female perspective of how this is going on. And then even after that, in the story itself, there are men hundreds of years later who are presenting their version of what the narrative is. And it says in the notes that like, oh, well, yeah, we found these tapes and they were all out of order and there were like wow. Elvis songs mixed in with other songs. So we had to put it all together. And so this story, The Handmaid's Tale, is what we've come together. And even thinking about it that way, it's like, oh, so wow. would her story actually be different? Actually, even more so than right. the story How has it that been distorted past, you know, even in the fictional sense, because it has gone through a bunch of different hands. That's an, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah, or particularly the masculine feminine thing. It's like it's still hundreds of years later. I being... love these new characters not being able to be sure, and now as the audience, we're not sure because mm-hmm. we're like, well, okay, were we told what happened, or were, were we told what it these as exactly what these men exactly. <laughs> hundreds of years later thought happened? Yes. And, and what their interpretation of the last man's thing, you know. Yeah. And I like what you said about, like, well, we are history. It's like when you're in traffic, it's like, no, you are the traffic. Yes. You know, like, things are happening now. No, you're on the five. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, you, you could have been somewhere else, I guess. Yeah. You know? we, no, we all want all to get home people, at 530. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. It's like, we all want equality. 
you're, yes, you're also a part of it. That I think uh, just based on what you said and what they say and what the culture says a hundred year, of years later, um, it seems like they, you know, that, that kind of excuse, they did the best they could, which I mean, and that's true in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. They did the best they could with what they had. But at the end of the day, people know what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. These characters know what's right and wrong deep down, even though they've been conditioned to accept and believe whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, the and if you don't thing, stand yeah. up for what you believe is right or uh, and what you know is wrong, then the whole scale gets tilted. And if you let it slide, the Cambridge thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And and Real how stuff. and how all it's it's three it's things re- relating to power. I I see it as relating to power specifically. It's for at least this particular narrative: men putting women into categories, mm-hmm. saying you're the handmaiden, you're the wife, you're the whatever. That's what she's speaking to. It's also women not helping other women mm-hmm. potentially, and it's also the privileged people thinking of others as less than because you're in this arbitrary yes. station. All of those things. Are combined in this narrative, yeah. but primarily the male-female. One thing I didn't talk about, and I just thought was was interesting, is the commander doing all the, you know, really going out on a limb, but it seems to be, to me, the heart of what he's doing is just wanting to be normal. Just mm-hmm. wants to take a girl out or, like, have her over for a night and play Scrabble, mm-hmm. you know, like, all, the, you know, just like, we want to go to a bar, you know, mm-hmm. just having to sneak around to have that experience. Yeah, he's, he's just oppressed as oppressed. He's just as oppressed by the, the person same. above him. Yeah, all the same and all different. All it's it's a totally different psychological setup, but it is it is oppression out the wazoo. Yeah, and then uh, the ending is bonkers because it's like, do we even know that that's what happened? <laughs> even though we tried to explain incredible. it from a personal perspective, that well, could still I mean, also and then be... you better be just thinking about yourself, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and the classes you've been through, and the things that you've been told, the things that you've learned. Um. And experienced for yourself. Exactly. And believe, exactly. The, believe the present as well, where she's saying, like, I can't remember things. It's like, well, you're also in it. Yeah. So the last things going off of that is the style and the tone. And certainly I have omitted portions of the book or skipped over some things or things that I thought were more important than other things that you might be like, well, this happened then. Bear with me because mm-hmm. I tried to express and hopefully you got, which I thought was more important, the style and tone of the whole thing in the quotes and the feelings that she's expressed mm-hmm. and the way that the book parses the information out drip by drip. That is uniquely The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And what you were saying before about how the show works to do that. Oh, yeah. And uh, give you that. It seems to me they they have changed up the timeline as much as they see fit. But the the way it is put together, the way it's edited, the sound design, the cinematography, it's shot a lot in a close-up. And I think right. the way, why it's shot in, in so much close-up is because it's really easy to cut around. Um, you don't have to have your geography really down pat, and it can start to get really dreamlike. So I'm going to link in the show notes. I watched this video, and it's like, why... Handmaid's Tale won eight Emmys or whatever. And he goes into, if this is your thing, he goes into the specifics, two particular facets of cinematography. One, which you said is the close-up, and two, which is depth of field. Absolutely. So they do. Absolutely. They play with that focus right in immediately when when the when the uh, the abduction is going on in the mm-hmm. woods when she, when the gun hits and you're like oh my god was that was that the husband <laughs> she wavers in it's a close up but they she wavers yeah. in and out of focus and it's just her and the camera and they're just and going I, back yeah. but it's to illustrate the is this reality 
Is it actually happening? And I believe it's gotten it's gotten praise in that sense because it has been a trend which you might be able to speak to in indie filmmaking of shallow depth of field, meaning for those that don't know, everything around is out of focus and just what's in front of you right here. If you're holding an apple, the apple you can see and everything behind it is really blurry. And that's easy to do with the latest Canon cameras that you can get for yourself. And so it looks, that's what looks really cinematic, but they do it for a purpose, oh, it's like you said, a of, oh, they want you to feel like you're her with the white habit covering her eyes and all you can they see. They want you to not be able to think straight. Mm-hmm. And, and they really illustrate it. And I've only seen one episode and I'm, and I'm getting that. I'm like, oh, no, they want you. They're trying to create the feeling that you get when reading the book. Mm-hmm. Which and I'm glad I haven't for. even I haven't even seen a page of it. And I'm like, <laughs> I think they did it. Yeah. It's kind of impressive. Amazing. It yeah. really is kind of yeah, impressive. Yeah, I'll link now. I'll link to that video because he goes into like apertures That's cool. and focus I watch lengths. That. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. All that. I'll have to check out our own show now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this one extra thing. Yeah. I'm just gonna do, can I just keep talking about Margaret Atwood? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that would I'm be I'm fine, man. I don't know. I'm good. I I'm, I think this is interesting and now I realize, oh man, other than her just her research and uh, yeah. the genesis of it, I don't know the actual, you know, maybe why she did this. Yeah. So I watched a, a, a little piece on her, and she said she started her career as a scriptwriter for puppet shows in the 50s, mm. thought she'd have to write romance novels, got her education in writing, didn't really start, she didn't publish anything until 61. She's Canadian, has won all the awards that you could possibly win in Canada. Basi- Canada. In basically, Canada. <laughs> basically being, you know, their version of, uh, what is it? It's not knighted for women. Dame. Oh, of Canada. Wow. Um, she said she's a terrible speller. <laughs> Although if you're interested hey. in her spelling, something big that she's known for is she's huge on Twitter. She tweets like 15 times a day. Oh, she's yes. got 44,000 tweets that oh she's done God. since like this 2011. This 80-year-old light She's 80 Twitter? years old. Yeah. <laughs> letting, letting everyone know what for. Mm-hmm. This was very popular in her lifetime. So it was in the mid-range. It came out in the 80s if she started in the 60s. Um, okay, so she, you know, she had 20 years of yeah. trying to get it together, and then, uh, you know, 20 years of, yeah. you know, hey, maybe this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. Her daughter was nine when it was published, and if you look at how it trended, by the time her daughter was in high school, it was required reading. Yeah. So, like, it was... Pretty it, hot. It was pretty hot. Pretty hot. And Within a decade, it goes to required reading. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, the, there's a book called The Testaments, which is the sequel that's coming the out Testaments. in September. So now that you know the story, oh my God. what it's described as, the only information I could find was that it's 15 years after Offred's tale, and it's three different female narrators. So it may or may not be her, Okay, but it's completely something else in the same world, and 15 years after. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think so that'll, be, be, that'll be cool. Kind of like the Watchmen thing. I mean, yeah. That oh, yeah, people. We saw, yeah. we did, yeah, if you... This will be the announcement for this week. Mm, here we go. If you are interested in the Watchmen thing, the HBO series is coming out. The new HBO Watchmen series. And they put out the trailer, and it happens something like 15 years or something after Rorschach dies. But yeah. we did an episode about Watchmen, so if you want to listen to that, 
yeah, go check out the Watchmen episode that HBO is hot on the Watchmen scene. Yeah, it looks into the trailer is is like, oh, okay, so there's people trying to pick up the thought after the after the. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how, where they go with it. Because uh, that's what we that was a big part of our episode was how are they going to redo it? And they're not redoing it. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad, man. Amazing. I'm glad they're just trying to do something on their own, trying to take the ideas and expand it and see what happens. I'm I'm, I'm for it. Uh, might not be good. Might be great. I don't know. We'll see. Go check out our Watchmen episode. <laughs> <laughs> Go check it out. And we will see you all on the flip-flop. Goodbye. See you later.